Welcome to the Twinkle Training Teachers and ECTs podcast, the show where we discuss every aspect of teacher training and ECT induction to help you go into the classroom feeling confident. My name's Simeon and I'm a former primary school teacher. I trained several teachers during my career and so I was thrilled to come and work with our team at Twinkle supporting teachers at the start of their journeys. And hello, my name is Ashley. I am also a former primary school teacher working predominantly in Key Stage 2, teaching in both Year 4 and Year 5. I also have experience as a TA and a one-to-one learning support assistant. I absolutely love working at Twinkle to help all of you trainees and ECTs feel confident and motivated when you step into that classroom every day. Today's show is going to be all about the realities of teaching. So we've got a special guest with us today. We've got Katrina, who's a year six teacher and a TikTok teacher with over 60,000 followers and 2.9 million likes. So we're really looking forward to our guest today. Uh, We're going to be talking about what life is really like as a teacher, work-life balance, behavior management, and we'll also ask about job hunting because it's that time of year. But before we dive in, Ashley, would you mind going through our social media links for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. So we are on practically every single social media channel you can think of. So we are on Facebook. We have two dedicated pages. They are the Twinkle Trainee Teachers and Twinkle ECTs and NQTs. We have two community groups, which are called the Twinkle Trainee Teachers Group and the Twinkle ECT slash NQT Support Group. We're on Instagram at Twinkle Trainee Teachers. We're also on TikTok at Twinkle Trainee Teachers. We have a Twitter channel called Trainee Twinkle and we are on YouTube at Twinkle Trainee Teachers and ECTs. Okay, so uh, thank you for joining us, Katrina. Welcome to the show. Could you tell us a bit about you? Hello, Um, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So I am a year six teacher. I've been teaching for five years. I am also an ECT mentor, so I feel like I can give some advice to uh, the ECTs. And like you said, I do have a teacher TikTok where I've been sharing my top tips and my day in the life of a teacher. So yeah, I'm really excited to hopefully help some ECTs out with some advice and some realities of teaching. Amazing. I must admit, I'm a little bit of a fangirl. I follow you on TikTok and we were just so excited to get you on. Um, so, <laughs> so talking of trainees, you have a lot of trainee and ECT followers uh, on your channel and you help them out a lot. But how did you find your way into becoming a qualified teacher? What was your path that you took? Um, so I finished my A-levels. I don't know if you want me to disclose what I did for A-levels. <laughs> I can do. I did chemistry, biology, um, maths and French and I th- I did something else at like general studies I was I didn't drop any subject I don't know in the UK um, listeners you can obviously normally drop an A-level do an AS I chose not to which was um, just because I'm a bit of a keen bean and <laughs> all my teachers were like please can you stay on the subject and I was like not really but I ended up doing it and then I chose to carry on with doing an undergraduate in languages so French just because I enjoyed that subject the most um, and then I actually did a PGC in secondary. So I'm actually a secondary school trained teacher um, for languages. So I did that at Bristol University. Um, and then I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I was like in between where I wanted to live. Me and my partner were like moving around. So I took a year out where I worked as a manager at a tuition company uh, for a year, which was mainly primary children. 
And because so many of my friends were primary school teachers and my aunt was a primary school teacher, I decided I was going to give primary school teaching a go. Um, so then I applied to the school that I'm currently working at and I've been there for five years. Um, and it's been amazing, loving life. Love it. It's so it's so amazing that you sort of started at secondary and went to primary. Cause it's I know, I like get a, a lot of questions about that. Yeah, it's been a myth that I've heard of. It's like, oh, because it's it doesn't work the other way, does it? You can't be a primary and then go to secondary. Or is, I mean, I, I feel like you can, you can, especially nowadays, because there's so much more of a demand for um, teachers, obviously, like with the current climate of teachers um, in the UK, there is more of a demand, especially for like maths or science and certain subjects. But obviously, it very much depends on the degree you've done. Yeah. So if you obviously did primary ed degree, you wouldn't necessarily be able to. But then I've heard for maths, you can actually be a maths teacher if you've done a maths oh. A-level, um, because you can also do subject knowledge enhancement courses. Um, but that's very school dependent, I think. So yeah, it's definitely more common to move from secondary to primary, but I do think it's doable if you really wanted to make the shift. But I feel like if you're in primary, be happy in primary. <laughs> Otherwise I'd have stayed in secondary. Be happy. But also secondary school teachers, it is great. I think it's just subject specific, like how your experience goes. And obviously very much school specific, but that applies for everything ECT related. And, you know, when you're a new teacher. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so could you tell us a bit about your experience as a trainee teacher? What was that like for you? And how do you feel your experience might compare to people who are training now? Um, I would say I had a good experience in the sense of because I trained in secondary, I was blessed with a bursary, which I know lots of obviously ECTs, especially if you're a primary school teacher, you're kind of having to fund your own um, like degree or get um, maintenance loans and things like that. So I was very lucky in that sense. So I know for some it is a struggle because you're trying to manage training and having enough money to train and you're going on placement and working for free. And I know that's like a big uh, struggle for lots of teachers. I get a lot of comments from ECTs about that and training teachers about that. Um, my experience though of like the PGC course was like enjoyable. I had a really great cohort. Um, my uni mentors were great. Um, I did have some experiences which I, I struggled with as a trainee teacher. I would say mainly when it came to like lesson observations, it's obviously very nerve-wracking and sometimes you feel like you get a lot of criticism. And I do think in hindsight as a teacher who's a mentor, I think a lot of it, it the criticism comes from teachers just being busy and wanting to just get to the point and then move on because they've got so much to do. But I know from my experience when I was a training teacher, again, from the comments I received that a lot of uh, training teachers like worry that they're always just receiving criticism and they just panic that they think they're not good enough. But actually, chances are that your mentor is just like busy and you are great and it's just they're not giving you the feedback you want in that moment. I don't know. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, no. I had a good experience. And then also another challenge, obviously, is juggling uni assignments or reading that you have to do or essays or whatever and then lesson planning evaluation forms all those things that you have to do as a trainee teacher and just a general teacher um and keep all those plates spinning is very very difficult and trying to have a social life you know 100 percent. it really it really really is and we get a lot of comments about that of just how to juggle everything and keep everything like you're saying spinning, spinning really yeah, yeah it's really difficult it is 
I, I really agree with you on the teachers maybe just not having enough time to sort of tell you all mm. the things that went well in a lesson. So they're just like, oh, that needs fixing. I'm going to just tell you that. Exactly. Yeah. I think that is very much something I picked up on hindsight, though, that at the time as a trainee teacher, I did not feel that way. Like I felt that I was like not good enough and you do doubt yourself. And especially because you're new and that's regardless of what job you do when you're new at something, you don't feel confident. You do need that like external validation. You need someone to say like, no, you're doing a great job. Don't worry. But because, you know, working in a school is very busy and especially, you know, if you're a trainee teacher, your mentor probably has, in my case, because it's a secondary school, my mentor had multiple other trainee teachers under their wing. So that's mm -hmm. like five other teachers from, you know, other subjects that they might not be necessarily confident in that they're looking after. So, you know, then they're not necessarily giving you the feedback that you're looking for. But that is a really easy fix. And it isn't, well, it's not an easy fix in the sense of you have to have a bit of an uncomfortable conversation with your mentor, which I had to do and just say like, I'm going to be really honest. I'm starting to feel a little bit demotivated. I'm like, I completely understand that I need to receive constructive feedback as a trainee teacher. I totally understand that. I know I have things to improve on, but if you could just take some time to give me um, some positive, like, you know, feedback during each session. I'd really appreciate it. I know we're really busy, but I think it would just help me feel that little bit motivated. And majority of mentors from that moment would be like, oh gosh, I've not been very nice. I will <laughs> fix that. And if they don't, then that's a problem in itself. Then maybe your mentor needs someone else to kind of guide them. You know, again, you know, lots of mentors might be you're new to their role. So they don't really know how to give feedback. There's so many things to consider yeah. um or they might not want their I, role <laughs> they, exactly know, that that's another thing sometimes. there's so many jobs that you're given something and you're like sorry what i don't have time <laughs> for this um so which obviously doesn't kind of give them uh, an excuse to not be kind so that's why i'm saying it, it, there's always an easy fix but it is an easy fix in the sense of it's just a conversation, but the conversation is an awkward one and it is something that makes you feel uncomfortable. But the sooner you have these conversations, and in fact, the, the best time to start is during your training years because you're learning, you can blame on just being stressed and be like, sorry. Whereas as you get more experience, having those conversations is a little bit more like political and you don't want to offend people. But if you've had that practice already, it makes life so much easier for you. Same with like money conversations. There's so many conversations you should be having as early on in your career as possible so by the time you're in schools or you know you're a few years in you don't find them as nerve-wracking and also your mentor anyone your slt whatever they're also people they're human beings too you're all the same like yes someone's older or has more experience or whatever but ultimately we're all the same let's be honest so i think we need to remember that as well when we're feeling a bit like oh i can't do this yeah I, I Motivation 101. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, it, you're so right. You are so right with everything that you're saying. And it is, they are, they are really difficult conversations to have, but so worth it, right, worthwhile to have. Um, so many of our listeners will probably follow you on TikTok, or if they Hopefully. don't yet, they should. Um, and one of the the videos, the types of videos that I love the most, and I think they're, they're becoming very, very popular on TikTok, are the day in your life videos. Now, as an experienced teacher, what is an actual typical, very real, very honest day in your life like? Okay, so I'm just going to put it out there as a disclaimer. I know for a fact that my day in the life is a lot more pleasant than other people's. And I want ECTs to remember 
your day in the life is not 100% going to look like mine, especially because when you're new to a school, everything is new to you. So everything's going to take that little bit longer. Marking's going to take a bit longer. Uh, planning's going to be taking a little bit longer. Getting used to the system, everything's going to take that little bit longer. So again, practice makes perfect. The sooner you start like setting boundaries and whatever, the better it will be for you. But for me, my day in the life, I get, do I start from where I wake up? Are we talking about that? Whatever you want, however you want to tell us. <laughs> um, so I wake up roughly around seven, like, you know, drag myself out of bed, get ready, like have breakfast, shower, all those kind of things. And normally my year partner picks me up around eight o'clock. I only live five minutes away um, from school. So, you know, if we run later, it's fine. I'd say the average time I get in is around 8.15 and everything I have the day is already planned and ready to go. So I'm not doing anything in the morning. A lot of teachers like to prep in the morning. I'm not a morning person. So I'm not planning anything in the morning. I'm not prepping anything. Like everything is already on my table or in my like Monday or Tuesday, whatever day it is tray. Um, I also set out a uh, day uh, start of day tasks. So that's set out for the week and each day I'll go down onto the right slide. Um, so basically from, you know, 8.15 all the time I get into 8.30, I'm just opening all my um, tabs, replying to emails, you know, switching on boards and things like that. But I'm not actually doing any work. So I feel like if you're not a morning person, preparation is so important so that you don't have to like panic about rushing in and feeling like, oh my gosh, I need to be in here before the kids. So the kids don't come in until 8.30. That's 15 minutes for me to just chill um i also found i did try once upon a time going in at like 7 30 but i just found that all i would do is just talk to my colleagues which is amazing like i obviously love speaking but i wasn't doing anything and i was like i like sleep and i like breakfast and if i come in early i'm not getting either <laughs> so um i feel like that was just for me i found that i did a lot of speaking a lot of faffing um and then a typical day would just be obviously you know, whatever lessons in the morning, it's either maths or English, uh, some kind of arithmetic as well um, as a separate little lesson. Then it's break time. Break time, I try and have like a healthy snack. There's obviously usually some kind of behavior issues that you have to deal with during break time. So you don't just get to chill out or someone's coming in asking for their gloves. And I'm like, I don't know where your gloves are. <laughs> um, I'm not the keeper of your gloves. Um, and then we do them. The second part of the lesson, so that's again, maths or English, depending on what was done. Um, and then we normally try and fit in a Spanish. So I don't know if obviously for you guys, your opinion when you were teaching, but especially in primary, there's so much that you have to cover in the curriculum. It's so difficult to fit everything in your timetable. It's literally impossible. So for example, for languages, to try and fit an hour worth of teaching, we have to do like 20 minute slots over like three days. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what we tend to do for languages, for Spanish. And then like lunch I always go so from the beginning of this year so I say always from this year 2024 me and my year partner like wolf down our lunches and like within five minutes and then we're out the door going for a walk just so we can like disassociate and like I don't know enjoy the sunshine or just enjoy each other's company and not think about work um I did used to work during lunch just like trimming or printing and that is something that um you know I do think is beneficial I don't necessarily think that's a problem as a teacher it does mean that you can maybe leave earlier after school depending on you know how much work you've got to do and how experienced you are um but for me now i've got to the point that i'm third year in year six i kind of know the crack mm. with the kids so i can just um leave enjoy my lunch go for a walk and then i'll come back set up for um the afternoon and 
then at the end of the day, (laughs) this is what people want to know. I tend to leave around four o'clock-ish. So the children leave at five past three. So that's 55 minutes of time when I can be planning, marking, those kind of things. But I do, I'm a massive advocate for live marking. So in the moment, marking, giving verbal feedback, looking at books there and then looking at the books for the children so they can then address misconceptions or make corrections there. And the children should be doing more hard work than you as a teacher. Like, you know, you spending hours looking and correcting their work for them or circling their errors. That's a long time that you're spending when that conversation is so much more impactful, in my opinion, because the child then knows what you're talking about. Whereas leaving a circle or a comment, they're like, I have no idea, especially if it's younger years. And then that's that. I come home and go for a run, make dinner, chill out. I don't know if that was detailed enough. I hope it was. No, it definitely (laughs) was. And it's so lovely to hear as much as you were saying, you know, it's because you've, you experienced and because, you know, these things, you can get through them quicker than an ECT or a trainee, but it is a lovely way to look at for something to aim for. I mean, I personally, I, I was that person that went in early and then had loads of conversations and chats and didn't get anything done. And then you're almost beating yourself up because you've got up early for it and you've done nothing. Um, but it's so nice to think, you know, getting to school at quarter past eight and leaving by four and getting everything done. It's just mm. a lovely thing to aim for. And I think hopefully some of our listeners can hopefully start putting some boundaries in and putting some things in place that, you know, works to their strength like you said you're not a morning person so don't leave things exactly. to the morning it's it's finding out how you work and then adapting and to also that. what what your priorities are like if you do prioritize you know chatting to colleagues that's completely fine like you know during my um nqt and the year after so my ect years really i did a lot of talking to my colleagues but then at that point i'm new and i mm-hmm. want to get to know my colleagues whereas now i know everyone i love them we have chats in the corridors. We'll have chats after school, but it's a lot more, or I'll meet up with them, you know, outside of school. So yeah. whereas at the beginning you want like to be included. So you're much more likely to like, honestly, the amount at the beginning, I would stay at like until five, five thirty. but that's because we were just talking like me and the girls yeah. were just talking. No work was happening. We'd bring <laughs> our boxes of books to Mark. And then it was just like, so what are you doing this weekend? Oh, boy <laughs> drama. Oh, you know, that's what it is. But that's completely fine because your priorities will shift. Obviously, if you've got children, like ECTs, there's lots of ECTs who are older or have children, whatever, like your priorities, regardless then of your experience, you are going to have to leave at a certain time because you do need to be with your children. Um, and that is when kind of the boundary setting comes in. And just saying like, no, like I do need to, yes, I haven't finished my to-do list. I'll just have to come in tomorrow and do it then. And then just kind of work and be flexible and adaptable with that. Circling back to what you were saying about kind of maximising every moment with curriculum, because there isn't enough, mm. I felt the exact same way. There isn't enough time to fit everything in. Uh, and I think that really comes down to playing to your strengths. So I I had a music specialism so I'd be fitting in like little clapping games and songs and things between activities but obviously if you've got yeah. language specialism you can fit exactly that in. If someone's very arty yeah. or a PE teacher they can fit that in so I think I think that's a really good tip for people you know if you have specialism if you have extra knowledge fit in small activities throughout the day and uh, it can build up like that um, yeah it adds up it still counts it's still part of the curriculum 100% yeah, and quite often doing something little and often is more impactful than doing like a big chunk every half term. Exactly. So, so um, I'm really pleased and impressed with how, how 
well you've managed to kind of set boundaries for yourself and get a good work-life balance what what are the kind of non-negotiables for you with work-life balance so i would say the non-negotiables for work-life balance and i said this in lots of my tiktok videos it's so important that you as a human being make your own plan everyone's different like i mentioned for me i don't want to be leaving any later than 4 30 unless there's a reason so unless there's a parents evening or a staff meeting or there's something specific going on which you know that's fine like i in my head i'm like an 8 to 4 30 day is plenty i'm doing more than my contracted hours that's all I'm willing to give. And the way for me, how I started managing that is that I would book things in at around 4.30. So at the beginning, especially if you're a trainee teacher, you kind of feel like, oh, I have to stay as long as my mentor stays. And you don't want to leave because you don't want to look like you're, you don't know what you're doing or you're bad at your job or you don't care enough. So I'd be like, I'd book in a hair appointment, like a haircut um, or a dinner or a walk or something where I'm like, oh no, I actually do have this thing to go to. And then I could almost give that as an excuse to make me feel better. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, people got accustomed to seeing me leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't need to give any excuses. Also, a lot of it is like that internal confidence of like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Lots of teachers I know leave at 3.30, but then they're going home and they prefer to work at home. They'll do an hour or two hours, whatever at home. Like, Again, I don't like working at home, but other people might have a great setup or they need to be home because of their kids. So they'll have to do work in the evenings. So once you've decided what you want your hours to look like, then it's just a case of how are you going to make that work or book things in so then you don't feel um, so bad about it. I also think, which I know is, I feel like it's a taboo thing to say, but I think in 2024, okay, no teacher, in my opinion, should be working on the weekends or on the holidays, okay, hear me out, people. (laughs) Because I know it happens, there's so much to do, and I totally understand it, but fair, it's not right. And I think at this point, the whole idea of like our goodwill, like we're doing things just because for the love of the kids, of course I love my children, I love my students, but if I'm absolutely shattered because every Sunday I'm spending hours planning and worrying about the next day, if on on the holidays I'm spending a good few days of my week holiday marking planning whatever it may be i'm not actually ever resting i'm never actually having a genuine break which means i'm resentful of my job which means i'm resentful of my children which means i'm not happy they're not getting the best version of me i can't be like a positive engaging teacher because i'm there like i don't want to be here i'm knackered i've ruined my holiday doing this so i think a lot of times you know teachers feel bad because they're like oh you know if i'm not working doing this this doesn't get done it will get done because you just reprioritize or you then speak to management and you say like, I need time for this. I need lead. So lots of people say to me like, but when do you do your leadership time things during my leadership time, my SLT give me leadership time. Otherwise, when do they expect me to do leadership things? So I think that's about, again, having that inner strength of being like, no, no, no. You know, in other jobs, you are given time to do things yes in all jobs nothing's perfect you're given time it's not actually enough time and you have to put some hours in and things but for teachers the mindset is like i i'm just expected to do this when actually there needs to be a little bit more of a shift so with the recent dfe guidelines of teacher workload so many things on there teachers shouldn't be doing so like for example displays teachers shouldn't be doing photocopying there's so many things on there now and realistically you're going to have to do those things as a teacher unless you have a TA, with, which now it just isn't as common to have 
TAs, teaching assistants, they're usually working one-to-one with children with SCND. So I think it's just one of those things that you just need to be firm and just say, I need time for this, this, or this. And then SLT needs to give it to you. And then just, you know, if someone pulls you up on that and say, you know, you need to put more hours in, no one can legally ask that of you because as long as you're doing your director time, there's nothing anyone can do. As long as you're doing your job for me, I will stay longer when I need to. Like, for example, reports is one of those times that I would spend a little bit longer. I'd stay a little bit later or I might take like a Chromebook home to do some reports. But that's just for me. I like to spend a while. Like I like to really milk writing my reports, um, <laughs> whereas other teachers might be a little bit more efficient. So that's something where I like to take a bit too much time to do. So Yeah, it's all about your priorities, but I just don't think teachers should be working where possible at home, not at home, during weekends or holidays. That's just that those are my non-negotiables is super late, like staying and all that at work and also working during the weekends and holidays because you just realistically wouldn't do it as much in other jobs. Like, again, when I work as a manager, I had to because one of the days I had to do a Saturday and I hated it. I literally hated it. That's why I left the job even though it's better paying job than teaching. But I was like, I don't want to do a Saturday. That's just my personal opinion. So, you know, if you're a teacher going in for the holidays and having, you know, your short nine to five or whatever, or nine to three during the weekdays, then at least make the most of that and don't work on the weekends. If that's what the public's perception is, then stick to that, you know? Give them that. Okay, you're right. That's so true. <laughs> it also comes down to discipline as well, isn't it? It's like, one, it's discipline with, with maintaining your boundaries, like you said. But it's also down to when you have got those pockets of time to work, it's making Definitely. the most out of those times, being efficient, getting things done, not having the chats by the photocopy machine. As much as like you were saying before, they are such a lovely bonding experience, especially at the beginning of your career. But if you are saying, I want to be out of the door by four o'clock in your your case that 55 minutes that you were talking about I can imagine that you're working really efficiently and just getting 100% always like I'm that's actually one comment that I'm always given as a teacher is like how are you so efficient and I'm like I don't know but whenever I get an email like I try and get things done there and then so I don't have to be chased. I don't have to have that second email sent over to me. Like everything is done. If we're asked to do like a medium term plan or something, let's say in a staff meeting and you're given that time, you could easily with that time decide to go and have a chat with your friend in the classroom. But I'm just like, no, I'm 100% going to get that done so then I can go home and I don't have to worry about completing that medium term plan later on down the line. Yeah, it gets rid of the anxiety as well. If you've been given a task, get it done straight away and you're not worrying that you might forget it later on down the line or, you know, someone's going to remind you in a couple of weeks and it's really, really important and you suddenly have got the time to do it. All of those little exactly. things. For me, that was what I really struggled with when I was a teacher is that I would write a to-do list, lose that to-do list and then forget jobs that I had to do and then suddenly mm. play catch up. So I think in hindsight for me, I should have been a bit more efficient just just get things done and just crack on really. And it's it's easy to say and it's hard. No, 100%. I think like with the losing uh, to-do list and like putting something off your mind. So let's say Sunday scaries, a lot of teachers, especially trainee teachers or ECTs have that Sunday scaries. I don't really get that anymore, which I'm happy with. But a massive reason I don't get that is because the to-do list that I could be doing on the weekend, I will send myself an email, like as into my school email, with a to-do list, I know I need to do that Monday morning. So I don't need to worry about it on the weekend because I've emailed myself. I'm not losing it. I know I'm going to get it done. So I've sent myself an email with literally bullet points of what I need to get done. And then I can relax on the weekend, not do that job because I'm going to do it when I go back to school. 
I don't have to worry about losing my to list or worry that I'm not going to get it done. So I've already given myself that reminder. So I definitely think that's a really good way as well to get rid of Sunday scaries. It's like emailing yourself to do lists. I love doing that. And it's just like <laughs> from me to me. <laughs> so just thinking about topics that our listeners sort of send into us or comments that we both see so regularly. One of the major topics that trainees and ECTs worry about is behaviour management. And it is such a huge part of teaching. And I personally think it's one of those things that you just get better at with experience. But how do you manage behaviour management in your classroom, especially with your sixes? You've got SATs as well. It's very important that you're on top of behaviour and the children are learning. So what is it? What techniques do you use? How do you act with the children? I would say, I know it's so cliche and I feel like it's annoying to say, but it is all about relationships and expectations. I'll explain more about what that actually means. So I feel like as a trained teacher, you hear these words and you're like, what does that even mean? Like, you know what relationships mean as a definition and you know what expectations are, but what it looks like in the classroom is expectations is an easy one to explain. So for example, at the beginning, when you first start, it's so important, September, October, after October half term, after Christmas, every single time there is a new term, I go over my expectations because kids do forget I don't know, you've had a break, you're not really thinking about school, as the same with me, like I've had a break, you forget what your daily routine is, whatever, because you've had the break. Same thing applies for the kids. Yes, you think being quiet when you've asked to be quiet is common sense. However, they're kids, so you've got to give them a break, you know? So I would say you want to set those expectations and be really clear. So for example, if you want your kids when you are, um, I don't know, getting them back from break time, do you want your children to line up? And when they line up, how do you want them to line up? Do you want them to always line up in alphabetical order? Do you want them to line up in silence? Like, what exactly do you want them to do? And you have to be so explicit, regardless of what age group you are teaching, you have to be so explicit, especially, I would say, actually, with the older children. So they'll give you, they're like, yeah, but technically you didn't say this. So if you are really explicit, you can't have anyone saying, well, you didn't tell me to do this. So if, like I said, for lining up, I might be like, okay, every single time we're going out for break or lunch, you know you're lining up single file. That means one behind the other. And I literally would show them because otherwise, if you say line up, you will get groups and clumps of children who are friends lining up together. And like single file, in silence, that's how I know you're ready to go outside. Alphabetical order in case there's ever an emergency. So I've got you already in order and you've already practiced that. So if there's a fire alarm, whatever, you already are in the line. And then I set that expectation every single new term or when they forget. When it comes to things like, okay, when we're doing purple penning, so editing work. This is what I expect you to do. I want you to open your book. I want you to look at the newest piece of writing that we've been doing. And I want you to always look at the first paragraph, not the rest of it. I just want you to always look at the first paragraph, just one paragraph. And you're always going to start off your editing with looking for capital letters and full stops that are missing. And then if there's anything new that I want you to look at, I will tell you explicitly. So you're kind of, you're making it really clear to your children what you expect from them. And then the relationship building is giving a little bit of your time to the children so for ex- and telling them a little bit about yourself. So for example, especially with older kids, it's a lot easier to do, but with the younger ones too, telling them stories about your family, telling them about what you did on the weekend, asking them what they did on the weekend, like showing them that you care about them as a human being outside of, oh, you're my student and I'm your teacher. They need to see you as someone real and relatable. I'm always talking about like my partner, Taylor, like, and they're literally like, oh, he must find you so annoying. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does. And like like little stories about what I did on the weekend. And then um, at lunchtime, for example, just spend those five minutes, like especially for me, the children eat in the classroom. 
just asking them about things like what they're planning on doing the weekend or whatever or like when we're watching a movie because we put on movies when it's their lunchtime while they're eating I'll do the classic thing of like playing dumb like oh I don't know what this means I don't really know what's happening so that they can then be like oh miss it's this and then they just feel like they're helping you with something and you're just helping to build that bond it's like little things like that you know singing like dancing you're not going to do as much but singing in class again really helps like they think you're silly they think you're weird but they kind of like you for it you know those are the kind of things where you're just showing your personality you're building relationships they trust you they see you as a real person and i would also say kind of linking expectations and relationship for behavior management is being a fair person and you know you can't if you're going to tell so and so off who's your typical naughty child for something you've got to do the same as the child who normally doesn't do it you have to be fair and the children spot these things and they will be like I don't trust her then because she's picking on this person. This person's her favorite or her, his or her favorite. And also owning up when you've overreacted for something as a teacher. You know, many times I've been overdramatic and, you know, shouted for not many times. I don't shout that often, but like for nothing. And then after I'm like, oh, I feel like such an idiot. Like that, that really was overdramatic. And I just say to the kids, like, right, guys, I was a little bit stressed and overreacted. I'm really sorry, so-and-so, but you really shouldn't have done that though. But I am sorry. You know, and again, they see you as a human being. I think that's a lot easier, I'd say, from year three upwards. But, you know, you can still apply the same general rule to EY Fest and Key Stage 1. Like, you know, I'm sorry that I got cross. It was just because of this. And yeah, I think those are important, if I'm being honest. And after that, once you've got those two things on lock, it just makes everything else easier. You won't need to sanction as much because they know the boundaries. They know what your expectations are. They know when they're crossing the line, so it should be a lot easier to bring them back unless there's a genuine reason. Like, you know, you can't, children are humans like us. They've got emotions. Like some days they are going to be wild because they might not have had enough sleep or they might have had an argument in the playground. Um, But that's why people say, you know, behavior is a form of communication. That's when you go up to them and say like, what's going on? What's happened? I don't understand. Like you don't normally act like this. Yeah. And if you have that relationship, that's much, that conversation's much easier. Yeah, exactly. You've seen it, you've spotted it, you know it's not normal and you can have that bond and you should be able to, again, bring it all back. Whereas if you don't have expectations, you don't have relationships, that's when you're constantly like throwing children out or having to give sanctions or go through the warnings really quickly, which when you're new, that might happen and that's completely fine. But like, you just have to think, right, how can I just get a little bit closer to building a relationship with these children, especially the kids that you struggle with? I know you might feel like I'm just going to pretend they're not a problem and just send them out. But actually you're like, right, I'm going to have to speak to them at lunchtime and find out, you know, a little bit about them so that they, they feel like they, those children like you and they might be a little bit more tolerant with you and you can tolerate them a little bit more. No, that's, that's really good advice. So changing gears a little bit, a lot of trainees are now looking for their first job or they will be in the coming months. And it can be quite an anxious, overwhelming period. Do you have any advice for trainees who might be feeling that way? I think if you're getting interviews, you definitely shouldn't be anxious because my dad always used to say this to me. If you you got to the interview point, they've looked at your kind of experience. They know where you are at and they're just kind of looking at you to see if you fit with their team and whoever, whoever they've got working in that school already. And with that same breath, if you don't get a job and you've been interviewed, don't feel like it's 
you're a bad teacher or you're not good enough. I've said it in lots of my TikTok lives and, you know, videos that actually you might just not be the right fit for that school. And that's actually completely fine. If anything, that's ideal that you haven't been given that job because the management know what personalities would fit well with a team they already have. They know what experience they need in, in the sense of like, okay, this person was a great teacher in the interview, but realistically, we're looking for a year two teacher and they would be an amazing year six teacher, but we just don't need a year six teacher. So we're not going to give them their job. They're incredible, but you're not going to give them the job and that's fine. Then you'll go to another school where someone, you're perfect for that school. Um, I would say in terms of tip, get rid of that feeling of like, I'm not good enough. It's just, you know, remembering that I'm amazing. Um, but in terms of like general tips, I would say when you put out, you know, your personal statements and your things, if you're not hearing back, that is also really common. You're not, you might not be getting interviews. That happened to a few of my friends and it can be really disheartening, but just think like supply is very much an option if you don't manage to secure a job for September. So before, I know you probably will at this point, but in case you don't apply, that's a huge, amazing option because with supply, you can find out the schools in the area that are great or are not so great for you, you know, their policies, you can start picking up resources, you become more flexible and adaptable and get better behavior management skills. So if you end up doing supply, that's actually a really, really good alternate like option. Lots of teachers I know who weren't able to get jobs. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm sure all of you will get jobs. But you know, you could do TAing for a while to have like that experience staying in schools. You could do tutoring. Like there are so many things. Like for me, technically, I didn't go straight into it. I had a year, like I said, where I worked as a manager at a tuition company, but at no point was like, I'm not good enough, darn it. I was like, well, that one school, I didn't want to work there. And then there, that was it. I didn't really apply to anywhere else because I wanted to work in primary. And last of all, if you are applying for primary, I 100% recommend going on a tour of the school because again, to get an insight, but also because then they feel like they know you and they're more likely to put you through to an interview if they've kind of built that bond with you. Um, I just think it's so beneficial 100% going on a tour. I completely agree, 100%. I think you should go around. You need to understand if the school's the right fit for you, how you feel, what they're emphasising, what they're focusing on. Does that fit with your own values? It can be so, so beneficial for you to see the school and, like you said, for the school to see you, hopefully remember you when you're applying so if you can and it is difficult when you're a trainee trying to get time out sometimes to go yeah. and view all these schools especially if you're putting out lots and lots of applications if that's the tactic that you're using obviously you might not be able to go and see all of them but if there, there are ones that you are very interested in definitely mm-hmm. try and get out to see them yeah Oh, just before we go on to our last question, Katrina, could you tell us how people could find you on TikTok and uh, watch your TikToks? This has been so good, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Yay. So my TikTok is Teacher Teresa UK and so is my teacher Instagram. I do regular lives. I try and do a live on a Tuesday and a Sunday. I'm not always on that, but I try. And then, yeah, obviously there's loads of videos with advice and memes and skits and things on there. And I also have a fashion account if anyone cares about clothes and that's um, mid-sized Teresa and that's over on TikTok and Instagram as well. We will be dropping the links to those in the description for this podcast as well. So if you haven't got a great memory, you will be able to, to copy and paste or to click on them. So what we started doing this season on the podcast is uh, we're bringing in some questions we've received on social media. So this question's from someone who wants to be anonymous, remain anonymous. And they've asked, they've said, hey, guys, I'm just wondering what's the best thing to do regarding job applications when you start looking for teaching jobs? Should I send a few and see how it goes or dive in and send a lot? And what do you both think? 
I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it depends on the panic. You know, like desperation, I need a job for September. I feel like at this point, there's not going to be as many jobs out, but I think at this point you definitely could take it easy and maybe just like put one or two out there. And then as it gets closer, you might want to, you know, put your um, CVs out to everyone. But I don't know. I think, I don't know. That's my opinion. I think take it easy. I think it's hard, isn't it? I think a lot of it is down to mindset. So if you are wanting to send out a lot and that will make you feel more comfortable, that's fine. But don't get upset if you don't get an interview for the first couple. Um, It's not a case of, you know, if you, like you were saying before, if you don't get through, that's okay. You might just not Mm. fit that school. I always personally think you should be a little bit more choosy with the schools that you apply for just because once you are in that school you want to make sure that they do that it does fit with your values i've been to schools before that didn't fit within mine because i was desperate to get a job i was moving areas i just took the first one that i could get and mm. i did regret that and yeah you can't really do much about it so well obviously you can and i did but looking back in hindsight, I wish I would have been more choosy and looked around and and really sort of looked into the school. And I think if you're just going to be throwing out applications, as much as that might make you feel more comfortable that you're doing something, you want to make sure that you're in the right situation when you've got your job, especially your first teaching job. You want to feel comfortable. You want to feel like they're a supportive group that you can ask questions and get advice from and things. And if you get interviews then, like let's say your you know, personal statement and your application is incredible and then you get interviews for multiple schools, you find yourself in a bit of a pickle of you're going to these interviews like back to back and you're like, oh, I don't even know who to say yes to because obviously at the interview they'll say, if we offer you the job, will you take it? Yeah. And then it's one of those things of like, well, I've got an interview tomorrow and then the day after and the day after, so I don't know. And you don't know much about the school, so you want to go to these schools to find out. Whereas if you've kind of done the research before, looked at their website, looked at their policies, tried to ask people that might work in these schools, or at least trying to go on a tour or something of the school, you you might have not actually even bothered applying to you know two out of three of the schools you've got an interview for. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with that, I think. And it sort of depends on your local area, because maybe you've got a lot of really good schools in your local area, so you can cast a wider net. But my general thought is, if you only have, say, like five or six schools in your local area that are like, you know, top schools for you, schools where you know you'd be happy, you really love to work, my thought would be it's probably better to really hone your application and really work on that and send that to a few schools rather than try and scattergun everything in the local mm, yeah. area. Especially yeah. if it's lots of different years as well. If you are comfortable, say, towards the end of your training, and especially your ECT years, you'll probably know if you feel more comfortable in Key Stage 2 or Key Stage 1 or if you're secondary. It's a little bit obviously different because it is subjects. But especially in primary school, you might get a feeling of what Key Stage you like to be in. You might love being in EYFS. But if you're scattergunning all of your applications for your six jobs, for your five jobs, your three, you might end up being in a year that actually doesn't sit right with you either. So I'd definitely be being specific, I think. Yeah. And also another, sorry, another thing, but your placement school might offer you a job if you just like take it easy. Like again, like this placement is going to be like the hardcore and like spring. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh my gosh, heavy salad. So like you, you never know, your placement might offer you a job in the future so don't feel like i you know i need to get the job like down now like there's so much time you know loads of teachers hand their notice in up until is it may half term you can give your deadline to leave in summer so like there's a lot of time left 
Yeah. Um, but put the email reminders on for like e-teach and test to get those notifications. Like don't not look for jobs, but maybe hold off for now. Yeah, yeah I got my job on the last week of term at my placement school because oh, a teacher, same. Yeah, a teacher uh, got a position and was allowed to leave from the head. Like it had been past the resignation period and she was allowed to leave and I was there and I hadn't been successful. And they were like, will you come? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> so you've got loads of time. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel like Katrina said at this point in the year, you'd be better off keeping your eyes out for any school you feel really passionate about, but just start working on your app now, you know, showing it to people, um, you know, come to our job hunting support. You can show yes. us your app. We'll talk to you about it. So when that school you're really passionate about does come along, you're ready. You've got a great app and you can just send it off. Know it's good. Yeah. And if you are worried about job applications, then as Simeon just hinted at, we do have a Teach Meet event coming up. It's on the 13th of March. So it is with myself and Matisha, and we are going to be talking about everything to do with job hunting, interviews, everything like that. It is a free event. So you just need to sign up for it and you get to come and meet us and chat to us and ask us questions if you want to. Okay. And I, th I think we should probably wrap up there. So thank you so much for coming on, Katrina. It's been lovely talking with you. Do you have anything you'd like to say before we sign off? No, just thank you so much for having me and good luck to all the ECTs and trainee teachers. Like you're doing amazing. Keep doing you, keep backing yourself. And one day you'll be like, oh, life is easy as a teacher. Like everyone else thinks it is anyway, you know? <laughs> Fantastic. So if you are wanting to get in touch with Katrina, we will make sure that her TikTok and her Instagram is shared so you can always like and follow her pages. But if you want to speak to us on any of our social media accounts, we have Facebook and I'll just remind you. So we've got Facebook, which are the two pages, Twinkle Training Teachers and Twinkle ECT and NQTs. Two groups on there as well, which are the Twinkle Training Teachers group and the Twinkle ECT and NQT support group. We're on Instagram at Twinkle Training Teachers, TikTok at Twinkle Training Teachers, Twitter at Training Twinkle and YouTube at Twinkle Training Teachers and ECTs. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye.